Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey, everyone, you're listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton. On today's episode... Two people I love. Thanks for doing it. Tia Coachman and Sarah Outlaw. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. So I told you when I was coordinating this, this is kind of just an excuse for us to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> we like it. We like an excuse to get All together. All the way down. Right. So, well, let's start. I want to start uh, to learn a little bit both about you, uh, your work, what you do. So Tia, I'd love for you just to tell us a little bit about who you are, what you, you know, the work you do, and a little about your career background. Cool. So my name is Tia Brown Coachman and I am an HR consultant. Um, I recently left the advertising world, um, which I spent, you know, the better half of the last decade um, with Sarah at uh, Widen Kennedy mm-hmm. and also at um, 247 Laundry Service, which is an, an agency here in town um, leading HR. And um, I realized having um, spent uh, my career kind of in a zigzag in so many different uh, types of industries, starting out in government, federal government, um, did a stint in, um, I had a photography studio. Oh, cool. I want to talk about more of that. <laughs> I had yeah. a photography studio. And so so in, let me go back in my, in the federal government, I was writing policy. Okay. I was writing policy for the federal air marshals. Um, and then I left that job, went to start this uh, photography studio with a friend of mine, and I ran the back of the house. So managing all of the clients, um, but also managing all of the uh, photographers that we had all over the world. Um, so we had like a virtual team and she was cool. our like CD um, and main photographer. Um, I was in grad school. I dabbled in real estate in Brooklyn. I managed a brokerage house and a bunch of uh, real estate agents who are independent contractors. So I I got a feel for all the 1099 work. Um, And then um, I left Brooklyn because I was broke. And I didn't really love it. And remind me, did you grow up back there? Well, I was born in Brooklyn, moved to Atlanta, grew up in Atlanta, went to school at Howard University in Washington, D.C. And so when I left that government job, I moved to Brooklyn for for my ex-husband's job. Um, So I was there doing all the things, had my first child, um, wasn't really making any money, but was doing a lot of work and really learning a lot about how to take care of people in various types of workforces. Um, but I wanted to really get into HR. And so I went back to DC 
and worked for the district government as an HR advisor. Hmm. Um, so this is an agency, a government agency of 600 people, um, about 60 um, leaders in that organization. And um, that is really where I um, honed in on my like generalist chops. Okay. And, you know, got to dabble in every little thing from recruiting to, um, I don't know, you know, firing top something exactly and also representing the agency um representing that small agency as an um, hr advisor um in the broader um district government um, okay, so it. i i loved the work that i was doing i did not love the constraints of working in the government mm. um, i was not able to solve people problems as creatively as i felt they could you know, have been solved. And so um, when Nike came calling, I was like, let's go to Portland. Mm. <laughs> um, came here sight unseen. Wow. Um, I knew the city was calling me in some way. Um, in fact, my ex-husband, he really wanted to go to Seattle. And I, for some reason, was really, you know, something about Portland um, was pulling me. And I actually uh, left my job during like maternity leave. <laughs> so I, okay. I had, you know, I, I had had my child on a Friday and I never went back to work. Uh -huh. Literally just left two months later and moved to Portland. And how long have you been here now? Seven years seven this years? summer. It'll be seven years this summer. Um, and so, yeah, you know, moved here and um, started working at Wyden and Kennedy. Um, helped to transform the way that that agency um, was taking care of its people. And that ultimately led to kind of White and Kennedy being kind of an industry leader yeah. in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized just that, you know, between Widen and laundry service, I realized that the impact that I could now have um, on the workforce um, would be different if I did it from outside as opposed to inside. And so now I go, I'm coming back to my hand being in various industries from nonprofits to, uh, you know, other advertising agencies and also to the comp big companies like Nike. Mm -hmm. um, I, I get to really utilize those, that generalist kind of skill set um, and be HR for HR. Yeah. That's exciting. I want to get into more going on your own because it's a big decision. Yeah. Uh, well, Sarah, let's uh, learn a little bit about you. Sure. So I'm one of those HR people that actually went to school for HR. So I sort of got to college, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to help people. So I looked at nonprofits and, and other options, maybe teaching, but I decided that HR was sort of where I wanted to go. When I got out of school, I used my HR degree in a, a sort of a weird way where I did job skills training for, it was mostly women who were on um, welfare mm. in Tennessee. So okay. I worked at a nonprofit there. And so it was, it was really HR, but I was supporting a lot of people in different um in different jobs and I would check in on them. And if they were ready for a new job, we would look for new jobs okay. together. So that was my first job out of college. And then I also worked with the public school system in Nashville. And so trying to make sure that the public schools had the resources they needed, hmm. doing some volunteer coordinating. So kind of like Tia sort of dabbling in some management from a sort of a, a different angle. And then I moved out to Portland almost 12 years ago, which is wild. Yeah. 
And when I moved out here, I worked at the YWCA, which is specifically working with women. And my job was to work with women coming out of prison and helping them find jobs, which um, is challenging. This was right in the middle of the big recession in 08. So that wasn't the easiest job. And I, I switched from working directly with the clients to working into HR at that job and did payroll, did recruiting, did a lot of the generalist duties. And then went to Keen Footwear and did more of that. And like Tia, I had a, I had a baby that mm. she's now almost six. Yeah. So they're not babies anymore. <laughs> still our babies. Yeah, yeah, still our babies. Yeah. I tell them they'll be, they'll always be our babies. Mm-hmm. So even when they grow up and then I sort of realized the work that I was doing at Keen wasn't the work that I wanted to be doing long term. I sort of had ideas about HR that I wanted to be more creative problem solving, mm-hmm. less about enforcing rules, less about policy, less about handbook and more about the people. Mm-hmm. And so it really was odd how I found Keisha, who was our our boss when T and I worked together. I just remember in the interview, she would describe HR as being an advocate for the people. And I just remember when she said that, I, I just knew I've been looking for you because mm-hmm. a lot of, of HR people that I'd worked with, their their idea of HR was keep the company from getting sued, which I get that is part of it. But I feel like that's the very low bar and I have a very high bar and Keisha definitely expected us to take care of the people. And she set up a team where T and I were part of that team and she really let us run programs and let us come up with ideas. And she would really give us, there was so much freedom to create programs and to do things the way that we wanted to do it, that it was just a really different approach to HR. And I really loved it. I loved our team. I, I text her sometimes where I'm like, that was, it felt like the dream team when yeah. we were all together. 100% was the dream team. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's interesting <laughs> about both your background is you have this, you know, you worked in kind of the public sector first and you have the, it's almost like a sense of service, right? Yeah. And so you brought that to HR, which yeah. I think is probably pretty special because yeah. like some people, don't come from that, right? Like no. you said. <laughs> I do get questions though, just ending up in advertising after coming from that service place. Mm-hmm. People are always like, How did you end up in advertising? But for me, it's more about advertising gives me the ability to really take care of people yes. in a way nonprofits, like they just don't have enough resources to mm. do the programming that you want to do. Because honestly, doing HR well does take money. Mm-hmm. You have to invest in the programs and the people. And so that's sort of how. I looked for companies who were willing to invest, and that is sort of how I made the transition. Doing HR well also takes creativity. And when you literally sit in the most creative place on earth, <laughs> you know, yeah. it really filters into your work as well. Yeah. You get to be a creative. Well, let's, let's just talk about that because that is something, you know, people who've never worked at Widen or don't know much about it. Yeah. It's one of, <laughs> you know, a top creative agency and I mean the workforce there is probably like you said inspiring creative yeah. people there's that pros of it are there some challenges of working yeah, that absolutely. way too yeah. yes. we, we won't single out white and just in the creative industry, in creative maybe, industry yeah. in general uh okay so um so not specifically but one of the things about creative people is Um, mental health needs to be a top priority because if you're super creative, it's such a personal journey. So uh, we did have a population where a lot of people have anxiety and a lot of people Mm. have depression and how you normalize that and how you talk about that. I feel like Portland is set up in a different way than when I was in the South. I feel like therapy was more of a taboo and people weren't, you know, discussing their therapist where I feel like at Wyden people, you know, it's like, 
people are giving other people their therapist <laughs> numbers. Like it's yeah. very, <laughs> it's very out in the open, which I think is a really positive thing. But I do think just focusing on mental health and support is, is one of the things we really had to do. And you got to think about the work, right? So creative work is internal work. You're creating something from scratch or from some sort of inspiration. Yeah. That means it's, it's not like an organization that's creating widgets or just providing a service that is basically templated. Yeah. This is something that is literally coming from inside of these folks. And when they have blockages because of stress, because of trauma, because of whatever else, then they can't do the work that they were hired to do. So it's it is imperative that HR recognizes that leadership recognizes that to say, okay, we have a responsibility to help you get unblocked so you can get inspired and do this work that we hired you to do. That's a great great way to look at it. And I assume like Wyden is supportive of that. That's the environment there. And And the great part about having worked at Wyden or laundry service or just in creative fields and now not so much, um, or not doing it in-house, rather, I get to bring that creative problem solving into these organizations that, you know, have never thought about, you know, um, the employee experience versus, you know, just a first day orientation. It's a mindset. Presentation. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's but- a mindset. Um, and so I'm grateful for that experience. And that, I think, is what Sarah and I were both kind of longing for before coming into the creative world. Yeah. Um, of being able to to think more broadly about what the employment journey should should feel like. Mm-hmm. Well, you talked about mental health, and another thing that people always talk about or it's coming up is is burnout. Yeah. And in the creative industry, I don't know if that would because you're building stuff from scratch and yes. is that higher. Yeah. And then how do you, as kind of the, the people function, support that? I'll be honest. I think that's one of our still one of our biggest challenges, just because any sort of advertising or a lot of service um, types of companies where there's a client on the other side and there's a deadline, the expectations are always, you know, do more for less and and work faster. And so I do think where, you know, 10, 20 years ago, I do think our creatives had more time to really think through a problem. They had more time to just sit around and really ideate. And now those timelines are compressed. So we're definitely, we're definitely feeling that. And one of the things we did again, when the dream team was together was we moved to an open vacation policy, which said we encourage everybody to take at least one week per quarter because what was happening is people were getting so busy, they would never take a break. And so they would sort of save up their PTO because they accrued PTO. They'd have to save it up. Then half of the agency would be out like right around Christmas and <laughs> right. they'd be the out for the whole yeah. month. Yeah. So we were like, we really need to switch this where people are taking time throughout the year to really avoid this burnout, which that helps. People did start taking more vacations in the front half of the year, but it's still hard to get people to, to walk away because we have so many passionate people. I would say also that there are um, there are ways that we would, I don't know, handle kind of hard days um, within our own department. Yeah. Right. So like we had wind down Wednesdays, <laughs> I love you know, that. like <laughs> three o'clock. Just have a glass of wine. We just pop open, <laughs> yeah. you know, a bottle of wine and everyone kind of just stop, leave their desk, come to the common area of our department and just, you know, just have a sip and just relax and breathe for a minute because hard, HR work is hard work. Hard work. It's hard work. Yeah. And it's 
it's taxing and it's emotional and it, you internalize a lot of it. Um, and so, you know, there, there are things like that that can also be done that are not necessarily organizational wide, but like what is important and what um, capacity do you have within your own small department to, to kind of relieve a little bit of stress? Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that seems, I mean, I have a problem with this just I work for myself, but you're, your, it blurs the lines of your work in yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially, it, it seems like that's becoming more prevalent. I don't know if that's true. Maybe I'd love to get your perspective. It's like, we're always on and people love what they do, but that's that's maybe too much, mm-hmm. right? You got to have separate, like. Well, uh, and we'll add one more complicated layer for Widen, which is we relocate about, every year we hire around 100 people. We're relocating about 60% of those people. So you bring them from LA, New York, whatever the markets are, and then you put them in Portland. Yeah. And now all their friends are their coworkers. So it's like literally, yes, they're passionate about their work. Yes, they're super hard workers because everyone there is is incredible. But also now their friend group is based. And so it does blur those lines quite a bit. Um, I mean, we we struggle with it. I talk to people all the time that say, hey, I had to work my whole vacation. I'm like, well, that wasn't a vacation. You were working remotely. And so how right. do we try to build those breaks in for people when those lines are very blurred? I think that's going to be a real big challenge for HR over the next few years. And I mean, you mentioned you move 60% of people out of those. So, I mean, that let's talk, get into that about Portland because you're moving people from part of the country to you, you moved here. Mm-hmm. What's like, if someone who's coming from a bigger market, the shock of moving here and be like, okay, it's a smaller town. Um, it's pretty, this is not diverse. There's not, I mean, yep. let's talk about that. Cause I think that is important. Do, do people be here for like a year? Like I'm out. Yes. Or, yeah. yeah. So with the 60% that we move, we are moving a lot of people of color just because again, Portland doesn't have a huge group to, to draw from because it's one of the whitest cities in the country. Uh-huh. So as a white woman, one of the things we're super aware of is when you're bringing people from very diverse markets and putting them in Portland, it's like, how how are you as a company helping them connect to a bigger community? And that has been a struggle. Mm. Yeah, there is this, um, there's this extra effort that people of color have to make in order to find community here in Portland. Um, because there is also somewhat of a, of a divide um, of kind of old black Portland, and, I, and I'm specifically talking about black people, mm-hmm. old black Portland and new black Portland. Mm. <laughs> because old black Portland sees new black Portland as gentrifiers just the same. Interesting. Right, yeah. we're coming into their neighborhoods. We are, you know, neighborhoods that were traditionally, um, you know, black owned businesses and and black owned homes, Mm. um, you know, they aren't anymore, you know, and then we sprinkle in, you know, here I come sprinkling in into some of these neighborhoods and I'm looking around like, where are all the black people? (laughs) And the black people are in like the Gresham, you know, and they used to live in the house that I live in today, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's hard, mm-hmm. right? That's hard. Um, and so there's an extra effort that we have to make in order to build community yeah. uh, with folks who have been here. And then also just, um, you know, amongst ourselves as transplants. Right. Because we're spread all over the city. Yeah. You know, there's a bunch of folks at Nike. There's a bunch of folks in Northeast at Adidas. Mm-hmm. Um 
and then there's folks just kind of all between and you don't see them. You literally can walk blocks in Portland without seeing another right. person of color, not not even specifically a black person, just mm. a person of color. Mm-hmm. You can be in a restaurant and be the only person of color in a restaurant, in the grocery store, in the bookstore. Yeah. So, I mean, from a company perspective, what are some, I know Wyden's been good at, you know, partnering with different uh, organizations, what can companies do to support that when employees move here from other parts of the country and what's been successful? It's important for companies to have strong community relations, right? So they have to be connected to the Urban League, um, young professionals group of the Urban League. They have to be connected to um, even the schools here, mm. right? Because the schools are attracting, you know, students of color. And so, and you want to keep those students here. You don't want them to go and find jobs elsewhere. So the companies have to be connected to the schools and create awareness that, you know, there can be a job for you in our industry, whatever industry that is. Do you think we're doing a good job of that? Just Portland in general for companies? There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of, there's, there's Portland Workforce Alliance and Mm -hmm. they're doing a great job of creating um, awareness and, and access for high school students. Um, but in their schools like De La Salle North Catholic High School that has the um, work work program as part of their kind of uh, curriculum and, and tuition um, for their students where uh, one day a week, every single student in that school spends one day a week at a company oh, as cool. an intern. Yeah. Um, and so they get exposure in that way. Um and there are other organizations that are are doing um, similar kind of awareness work and exposure work, but it's really only happening at the high school levels. Hmm. You know, there, I don't think there's enough of it happening at the college level, university level. There's career fairs like mm-hmm. once a year, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Grant High School has their, um, their black affinity group and they have their own career fairs, mm-hmm. um, but that's them doing it amongst themselves, right. you know. So yeah. there is a lot of opportunity to... Um, to to take for these organizations to really get connected um, to the to the community. Yeah, yeah. Well, this I mean, you both of you were um, thanks for teaching at this workshop I did at PSU last October. And the title was "The Case for Equity Has Been Built." Now what? And I want to talk through that because a couple of things that really resonated with me was you talked about the iceberg, mm-hmm. what you can see. Right. And it's that struck me because my mom like immigrated from Mexico and, you know, I you look at me, obviously, I don't look Mexican. So there's all these things people don't know. So can you just talk about a couple of the top uh, things you takeaways you maybe from that you wanted to pass on? Because the audience for context was it's like manager level people, mm-hmm. people that maybe they just started to manage people. Oh, this is the first time they've started to lead teams. So I thought it was really impactful. So. Yeah, I think that exercise came from one of the consultants that we have been working with on for our women's leadership group. So we're trying to do some uh, specific leadership development for female leaders at Wyden. And so uh, Dr. Akila Cadet came in. And so she she's the one that walked us through that exercise. And for us, it's trying to build relationships and trust with your teams, because, again, unless you get to know your teams, there's going to be so much below the surface that you're never going to find out. And mm-hmm. how do you take time to ask those questions and how do you take time to get to know people, especially if people on the team are different than you there? We need to dig in and find what those commonalities are. So I think that that exercise 
even just with my team, we've several of us have worked together for years. And when we did that exercise, we still learned things that we didn't know about each other. So I just think it's a really good way to get a little bit deeper and share things that, okay, you may not have been like just going to open up about that on your own. Do you think people were uncomfortable when you did it? Are, again, having an HR group is different than doing it with, I think, probably an accounting group. So we like to talk <laughs> about our against feelings. Accounting folks. No, 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 we like, no, no. but they're just less likely to talk about their feelings than <laughs> HR people. And so with our group, we we are always sharing personality tests and sharing ways to get to know each other. So I feel like that our group is a little bit more open. But even when we did the exercise with women, like all the women leaders, it worked really well and people did sort of have that moment of discomfort, but I think all of us have to get comfortable pushing through that to really get to a better place. Mm -hmm. And it's important for us to, as HR practitioners and and leaders in an organization, it's important for us to recognize that there's so much beneath the surface, right? So um, when we are requiring employees to fill out a form that asks about their ethnicity and their race, and, you know, you have someone who presents white passing, but they are ha- of me- Mexican heritage, like, y- you need to make room for them to be able to check the right box, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or if, you know, as a black woman who is queer and a single mother, um, you know, what are the policies that are important to me? Well, you wouldn't know that if I just just walk in a door, right? you know? Um, but now you know. So how are you going to support me as an employee? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think to that point, all the things you don't know as a manager, we've definitely had some recent incidents where like employees were even in the pearl and racist incidents have happened to them. And it's like, so what support are you giving But I think a lot of companies don't even have that door open to find out if something's happened to you as you walk to the bus. Or I think there was a KKK rally a few weekends ago and we had to send an email that says, hey, in Vancouver, there's a KKK rally. And like we started a discussion about that because even for people like from Alabama, from other parts, it's not normal to have KKK rallies in the town where you're working. And so just really trying to give space to some of those things where I think, especially as white leaders, we sometimes might not feel the impact of that in the same way. And so how are you making space for that? Sure. And there's probably people are afraid to confront that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of being, being brave as a leader too, right? Yeah. And saying, hey, we might not start off approaching this the right way, but just opening that dialogue and doing yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And people definitely will not do it right. And I think that's like, you just have to know, like, we're going to get through this together, but we're going to make missteps. But you have to keep powering through because so many times there have been missteps and then people back off. Yeah. And it's like, the only way you're going to get better at this is to keep practicing. Yeah. Well, you're in a unique spot because at Widen, don't they have like fail harder? So that's probably part of the culture there is like, yeah. we're going to try things and mess up and that's yep. okay. Right. Yep. Not all company cultures are like that. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, I, my favorite topic to kind of end with is to talk about Portland in general. Mm-hmm. You've been here again, seven years, mm-hmm. 12. Coming up on 12. I mean, it's grown a lot since both of you've been here. So much. So right. Much. And what's the, uh, good and bad in, in a business context. What have you seen that's really excited you as it's grown? More people are moving here, bigger companies are coming here and then still like some things that are inhibiting us really kind of breaking through as a, a great place to be. One thing that I've noticed is 
I will even say since I've worked at Wyden, which I've been there five years, if somebody left Wyden, they effectively had to move back to New York or L.A. to find another job. And what I think is really exciting is that there are more agencies popping up in Portland. There's more competition, which might sound odd, but to me, that's actually exciting because that means somebody can go get another job, then come back to Wyden, you know, and they don't have to necessarily leave Portland. Right which I think has been a really good thing. So I I think that's a really positive thing that with growth, more opportunities, Airbnb, more tech companies being here, then people can move around and maybe they move from advertising to tech, but then they can still come back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. I I also um, am recognizing that there is so much opportunity to have um, really great conversations about race Mm -hmm. here. Um, when I first, you know, got into the workforce in Portland, I wasn't quite sure where, um, business leaders were Mm -hmm. in terms of their readiness to have that conversation. Because as a black woman, it is very apparent to me that, um, that not having those conversations will drive folks like me away. Yeah. And I desperately want all the people to come to Portland. Because I, I really love this city. Yeah. It has it has become really a second home for me. Um, and so I, I want to see more people here, but we have to be you have to have those conversations and we have to have commitments to try to fail. Yeah. You know, we have to make room, even though, you know, it's not, you know, it's not on the person of color's um, uh, shoulders to educate, you know, uh, everyone else. It is on our shoulders to participate in the conversations. And so um, I have seen companies and, and leaders and HR leaders um, be more and more willing and committed um, to stay in the conversation and not opt out. Mm, yeah. I love that. The second part, committed. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, well, thanks for doing this, both of you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks yeah. for having yeah. us. Thanks for having It was a lot of fun. So Tia, where can folks find you? Like you have a site? I, would love- I do. I yeah. do. So um, my company is Affirma Consultancy um, and it's just that AffirmaConsultancy.com. Great. Mm-hmm. And Sarah, we'll see you at Wyden. Yeah. People can come visit, talk about HR and talk about what we're doing. So thanks, right. Dan. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of That Cast a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.